Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts explore the changes in everyday life that occur over a lifetime. One of those changes, the advent of computers, really bothers me. In fact, one time I tried to make my password beef stew, but it wasn't stroganoff. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'd be Mark. And, and this uh, this is our first podcast in, in, in quite a while. We've had a bit of a hiatus as uh, as things happen in life and you get a little bit busy and uh, things have slowed down a little bit. So uh, we, we've decided to get together and uh, do another podcast. I had a hiatus, but the donut cushion is working wonders. Oh, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about tonight, Ray? Tonight we're talking about cultural and technological changes from, from when we were kids. And I'm thinking mostly like, you know, when we grew up, you know, the, the, the 60s, early 70s, to, to the way things are now, and, and how quickly things have progressed just, just in that last, you know, 40 years or so. Yeah. A- aging is an interesting thing. I remember thinking of my parents' lifetime, uh, their, their generation, and how much change they saw both social and technological i mean flight was brand new if they were born in 1919 1920 flight was brand new so Lindbergh, that was brand new stuff but they mm-hmm. also got to see the moon landing and i thought that'll never happen again that much change in one lifetime but the older i get the more i think you know all long lifetimes probably have a lot of different change, except for maybe the Middle Ages or something. There are some uh, sociologists, you know, uh, was it Toffler who talked about future shock? Um, the, 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 the pace of, of change is accelerating uh, and mm-hmm. it's getting harder to deal with. And I'm not, I think there's some truth, well, I think there's some truth to that. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly become pervasive in just about every aspect of life. Uh, the technology, uh, which we, I don't think it was so much in the past. Things things were a little bit simpler, a little more analog in yep, the analog world. I think once once you have um, a technological economy, um, technology really takes off. And so that there's been a huge amount of technological change. But it's funny, the more things I thought about, like what what do we do now, what do we have now, that we didn't do and didn't have when I was younger. And the list is is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of change. So you want to talk about computers first, seeing as I, that was that was the biggest thing that popped to mind first. Yeah. Um, well, when we were, well, I, I probably was working with computers a little bit more than, than you were. Probably. Because uh, I started in high school. But when we were in college, they were pretty much just being used as word processors. Mm-hmm. And in high school, it was just really basic stuff. You had a, um, you had just a, a little uh, typing terminal that ran at 110 baud. Which, if you were a good typist, you could actually type faster than this computer was putting, you know, producing output. And we'd hook it up to a mainframe at a science center uh, a couple towns over with an acoustic coupler. Um, now, kids. Some kids today, if they're old enough, will remember modems. But acoustic couplers were even like before modems. You had this mm-hmm. box with uh, two little like uh, rubber cups on it, and you take the telephone receiver, the, you know, the old wired telephone receiver, 
you know, to think of a typical uh, desktop phone, you, you talk into it, you, you, you dial the number, you'd hear the dial tone, then you take the acoustic, uh, you take the, um, the receiver and plug it into the acoustic coupler. So it actually wasn't even a wired connection. It was just literally the two computers talking to each other in tones. Huh. Huh. Yeah. What I, what I remember is back in the 60s, computers looked like a, um, like a wardrobe closet. Um, they were about five feet tall, mm-hmm. had like a reel-to-reel kind of thing behind glass. Yeah. And they would operate off these punch cards. And I can remember there was a, uh, a TV show called Time Tunnel about, you know, two guys that are experimenting with a time machine, basically. And their adventures are, uh, they are lost in time. And they will go from the frying pan to the fire. I mean, they were about ready to get you know, gored by a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and they'll be saved by the people back at the time tunnel, but then they find themselves on a, on a ship and they go, Oh, wow. I can't, I can't believe we dodged that one. And they look at a life preserver and it says Titanic. And <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> you know, they go from one bad situation to another one. But I remember one episode, it was our, uh, intrepid time travelers who got sent unimaginably into the future. I mean, just crazy far into the future. And the writers, every guess they made was horribly wrong. And it becomes more <laughs> hysterical over time. In, in, in the future, they thought, well, gee, if, if an IBM computer is five feet tall, in 8,000 years, it'll be 50 feet tall. Right. 100 feet tall. It'll be giant. Right. Totally wrong. And then they thought the IBM punch cards, well, in the future, they'll be made of platinum. It won't be paper, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like totally guessed wrong. And then I remember in high school, uh, they had classes for the computer types, but uh, Cobalt and Fortran, uh, they, they were teaching. Yeah. And yep. I just remember the names. And, you know, obviously, it's not the kind of thing I would take. Um, but that I remember. And then the first computer I was introduced to in the workplace was probably 1987, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was word processing. It was a computer, but it was only used for word processing. And I remember our steno pool, our stenographers who would just, you know, used to be the lawyers would write on these yellow legal pads what their briefs would be. And the people who knew the formatting and all that kind of stuff and typing were the stenographers. And the steno pools just went away. We had to learn the correspondence reg. And uh, that's how I was introduced with computers. And then you fast forward to probably 1994 was the first time when I went to Germany. I had a computer and it was, um, it was the first time somebody said, make sure you check your email. I said, my what? And I remember being perturbed. Mm. It was like, I've, look, I've got an in-basket that I tried desperately to, to stay in control of and now you're telling me i got this hidden electronic in basket <laughs> yeah. and so basically you go on email and check it like twice a day or something like that and um and it, it's it was the beginning because after that between word processing and checking email and the paper stuff goes away everybody sends everything to you attached to email right and suddenly your computer's on all day but that's where it, that's where it started yeah, well, I think word processing was the first killer app because most people didn't really have, you know, a need for any computers when when they first came out. I mean, the, you know, the people that were writing code and stuff and doing, 
complex mathematical operations. I mean, the, the first computers were, were done for the military to uh, calculate tables for uh, artillery firing. Um, but, I mean, that, that was the first, like, real uh, application that brought it to the public, especially when you got to full screen, like uh, WYSIWYG editing, where you got to see what your page would actually look like before you printed it. I mean, that that was what, you know, I think really uh, sold it to a lot of people. And, and then the, the other thing I kind of noticed, you know, in terms of chronology, uh, cable TV popped on my radar in the 70s. And so it was earlier than computers. Mm -hmm. But cable TV started something that computers just made explode. And I think it was um, the amount of variety that's available to you and what the public demands. Because it seems like after the internet came on, uh, suddenly uh, variety affected uh, food, groceries. I went grocery shopping the other day and I noticed coffee creamer. There were three cabinets of different kinds of coffee creamer, dairy, non-dairy, flavored, not mm -hmm. flavored, yep. almond. That kind of variety was something we never had. And my theory anyways, is that uh, the internet made it possible where if you can't sleep and you it's 2.30 in the morning and you want to buy a pink lampshade, you can. Yeah. Um, and I think people started demanding that availability and, and variety. Well, I think it's it's interesting how how the technology in in you know a couple of cases you cited there is actually uh, leading societal change. Like um, we had a, a team building uh, workshop one day, and we were just talking about communication around the office. And one guy volunteered that sometimes he would email someone down the hall, and this was when email was still relatively new. People were shocked that he would. <laughs> send a note to somebody who's just sitting a few desks away from him and not, you know, get up and go talk to him. Oh, wow. But, you know, and at the time, it really was not the norm uh, to do something like that. If, if someone, email was pretty much, if you were like, you know, writing to someone in another town or just had right. to send a document or, or a, you know, branch office, it wasn't to communicate with people that were within your, your inner circle. Where now that's almost exclusively how people communicate in, in some offices, right? Yeah, and, and, and I've had that happen. The person sitting next to me in the office next to me is emailing me. Yeah, I'm just like shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I remember one one configuration in our office a few years back. My supervisor was literally just one very thin, uninsulated wall between me and her. And she was emailing me, and I thought, wow, if you just talked loud, I could understand everything <laughs> you were saying. You don't have to email me. But, uh, but also, the, I think you made a good point about, about variety. Because um, one of the things that it does is it, it, it creates a market, or at least it makes products that are part of a niche market available to everybody. So... Whereas there may have been limited advertising space on TV or magazines for products that didn't have a wide appeal, all of a sudden they can be all over the internet if you want, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and you can find stuff that interests you. You can, you know, those little, little uh, niche interests, uh, and you can find those products and then they become popular. Yep. And, and even what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking what the McDonald's menu looked like in the 60s and 70s. 
It was like, you know, you can have a burger, you can have a quarter pounder, you can have a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but now, now they have, you know, the McRib and all these other things and the, the, the breakfasts and, you know, it's just the variety is incredible. Yeah. And that's something we never had. No, no. When we started. What's interesting is now when you connect to your Wi-Fi, um, it's more or less a, uh, a visual experience where you just, you know, click on it and it's, you're connected. Okay. It's confirmed. Mm-hmm. But back in the old days when you had to dial up through a modem and the modem had to do a sonic handshake it was an experience it was it would rattle your fillings yeah uh, just one quick note before i play that um okay that back when when it was really kind of the internet was around but pre like world world wide web there were bulletin board services which you know typically right bbs yeah and i i ran one for a while uh and there were a couple of big national ones, CompuServe, AOL started as a BBS prodigy. And you didn't stay connected all the time, partly because you paid by the, the minute you were connected to them. So that's one of the reasons why people dialed up all the time, because you didn't want to stay connected the whole time. You go in, do your business quickly, and then get back out. So uh, yeah. this is what it sounded like when you did that. was it yeah and, and i can say that the one thing i can verify is even though it was the stone age of the internet it was mind-numbingly annoying even then <laughs> yes oh i hated it didn't it seem like it took forever sometimes yeah. it would just go through multiple loops of, yep. of that pattern of sound because it didn't because it didn't connect right away or something it had yeah. to go through it again yeah it just seemed like taking forever yeah but yeah computers are uh are, are, are something and, and what's interesting about it, and I thought this would be another dimension to our conversation, is the the good and bad. You know, I think in terms of convenience and availability to, to knowledge, resources, I mean, it's fantastic. And even the variety is fantastic. Um, the dangerous part that I don't think we've fully caught up with yet is um, it, it it's the start of a... Something that erodes your local community and interpersonal relations. You know, now you're anonymous zeros and ones on the internet. Right. Um, you can talk to hundreds of people. Um, and so people want to be opinionated. They want to be um, some commentator. And then you can put yourself in information bubbles because you're anonymous. There's no price tag anymore. There's no personal connection. So I think that part of it we haven't really caught up with and it can be bad in terms of interpersonal relations but technologically it's amazing yeah it takes all the uh, the, the social interaction out of it. even though it's you know uh, social media it, it's not a social process at all yeah uh, you're, you're just reacting to you know just just an item on a screen that's not really connected to a a person that's right in front of you so the, you know, people right. say things they would never say to somebody in person Right. And, and as we talk, I mean, one theme I'm going to keep hitting on is, you know, the erosion 
of that personal connection. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I see things, you know, school shootings and stuff like that, I, I really think that um, part of it is the erosion of the sense of community. People don't feel connected to people anymore. If they feel like they're connected to zeros and ones or not connected at all. Right. Um, so it's just, there's definitely a bad side that comes with a, with a good side. Mm-hmm. Most people have uh, a, a laptop, a tablet, uh, a phone. Um, they're, they're everywhere. There's screens everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the amount of screen time people spend in the average day just, you know, is growing and growing. You know, they used to be concerned that the average person watched, you know, maybe five hours of TV a day. Well, I think a lot of that's gone away and it's been replaced with, uh, you know, the internet. Right. And, and how tempting is it when you're interacting with your family around the dinner table, have people's faces buried in their cell phones because they're on <laughs> the net doing stuff. So it goes back to that erosion right. of social units. There's, there's also that uh, instant gratification aspect of it where you can type up anything you want. You know, you can get it pretty quickly. It's not like watching a TV program and sitting down for like an hour or half hour making a commitment following right. a plot. If you're sitting right. there flipping through TikTok. You know, within the first couple of seconds, you decide if you're going to watch that TikTok or not, and you're just flipping and flipping and flipping through it. Yep, and and that that opens another interesting thing, and the, the expectation of instant gratification, mm-hmm. um, where you just want things handed to you. It was funny. I was talking to, um, you know, I used to work in this uh, office that would give administrative law support to the army leadership, and what it was was you would come in to work and you'd have a memo written to you asking for a legal opinion on a particular topic. And then you would get to it as soon as you could. And however long it took you to research it and draft up a memo that would then go to several people in the hierarchy who would add to it, subtract to it, change it. Cause you're, it's really a, a meeting of the minds and then they'd issue a legal opinion. And one complaint I got from a lot of peers is that there's no time anymore. Somebody sends you an email and like Domino's pizza, they want it in 30 minutes or fewer. <laughs> yes. And so absolutely. you don't want to be wrong, you know? Um, and so it's hard. There's just no, no time to really research things the way we used to. Well, and, and that, especially with, with, with COVID and working at home, accelerated the process of where there is no line between home and work anymore. And uh, right before I retired a couple of years ago, it was expected that you'd be checking your work email at home. And, you know, if the commissioner had something coming up on the weekend and needed needed some numbers or a chart to back something up, you had to be basically on call to produce that material uh, any time you, uh, you know, the, the commissioner needed it, which, right. which is not good. I mean, that's, that's pretty stressful if you're, you're, you're never really at at home because you're really always at work oh wow yeah Yeah. that's that's true now another thing i was thinking about that definitely has changed a lot in our lifetime is um telephone service Mm -hmm. i mean it, it used to be you had a landline in your house and if you were traveling or driving somewhere you were just incommunicado until you came back home um, the real cutting edge people, and I mean, not everybody, I mean, really pretty cutting edge people had some kind of voicemail thing, um, set up, but most people didn't have it. Uh, if you weren't home, you just were out of the loop for right. a while. Right. But what's interesting is even before then you stop and think in 1960s, how, how new 
the ancient technology really was. I mean, back in our parents' day, they would have a telephone where you'd pick it up and the operator would pick up and she'd have to connect you to a number. Right. And so the first thing that happened is probably what, 1930s, 1940s, dial telephones, you know, with rotary, rotary phones. And then, um, well, they, even didn't, then, they didn't have exchanges. You'd say, give me Mayfield 569 or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and people probably won't even know what you're talking about with exchanges. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have like EX38150. The EX was Schenectady, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Cedar 7. Well, that was two Cedar 7. CE 7 is 237, and that was like Waterford goes. Uh, I remember that growing up. And I know the, the letters were like the exchange. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, houses didn't have necessarily dedicated lines. At first, they started with party lines. You'd mm-hmm. have several houses using one phone trunk, and you would pick up the phone to make a call. And people are talking about their ironing and how their day went and dogs barking and stuff like that. And you have to gently hang up and wait and, you know, heaven help you if you had to cut in. And I think in the 60s, I mean, when we were, when I mean, the first things I remember, and it probably was the waning days of the party line, but it probably was you could pay for a direct line if you wanted to by then, mm-hmm. but probably it was cheaper to go party line. So some yeah. of the older relatives still had the party line. Do you remember party lines? Um, I remember my parents talking about it when we were little, but it was before I had ever used the phone, so I, I don't remember ever having to use it. But you know that was before uh, the infrastructure was in place for everyone to have their own line. So you know there wasn't as, as many uh, you know copper pairs strung up, and they, they also didn't have the sophisticated uh, multiplexing equipment. You know, for sharing those lines. Multiplex, so that was cinema. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. Oh, um, no, they didn't have those either. Oh, okay. uh, it was one screen and that's it. That's the only movie you got to see. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I remember with telephones in the what, 80s, maybe? Late 80s? If you really wanted to get funky, you'd have like a, a base station for your telephone. And then you have a receiver with an antenna, and you could walk around your house. Yeah. Well, before they broke up AT&T, they owned everything. They owned every piece of the equipment. You rented your phone. You couldn't buy a phone to install in your house. You even paid a line charge. The line charge was a fee they charged you monthly for the piece of wire that went from the phone on, say, your uh, kitchen wall to the uh, box outside your house. I mean, you, you paid for every bit of that system. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to call relatives that were like 100 miles away, that was a long distance. Yeah. That ran at a higher rate. That's why it's kind of funny with a cell phone. You can call Peru. Right. If you, if you, if you want to. It's yeah, just, and you had to call Sunday night after 8 o'clock when the, the, the rates went down. That's right. That's right. There were certain times. Yeah. Hey, so maybe maybe that's why we do this Sunday nights at eight o'clock. Maybe it's part of the uh, tradition that's just ingrained in our, our brains. Yes, the internet rates go down. It's a well-known fact. <laughs> hey, what does a rotary phone sound like? Well, you know what? I just happen to have that right. This here. is amazing. Yeah. It's serendipity. So the, uh, back when we were kids, before uh, touchstone phones, this is what making a phone call sounded like.
I decided to let that go the full length just so you could appreciate how long it took to dial a phone number. But um, yeah, that was known as pulse dialing and pulse dialing. Huh. And you know, in like the the eighties and nineties, most phones still had a, a button on the bottom where you could select the pulse or rotary uh, pulse or, or tone dialing. Uh, you had to get a separate phone line, a special phone line for touch tone dialing, which was you know I can't remember exactly when that started. Those little square buttons that you could push. Yeah, and uh, you know. The, well, I guess if you've got a landline, you know what that's like. Uh, I don't know how many people uh, have landlines that are listening to this. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so it's like the, those multiple tones when you hit the buttons, and, and that's that's how it's dialed. And you, you had to pay extra for, for touch-tone service, even you know when, when almost the whole entire system was still touch-tone. They were still charging you for touch-tone service. <laughs> All right, extra bonus points if you can tell us what number was just dialed, uh, write to us and, and win a, a valuable prize. Huh. <laughs> That's right. I know, I know, but I'm probably not eligible. Employees <laughs> of this podcast are not eligible. Or their families. Or their families. <laughs> well, that that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only people who are listening. But if somebody had this brand new rotary phone, how would you expect a human being to have a clue how to use it? Yeah, well, let me see. We might have uh, something right here. The local news of the week. At midnight Saturday, the telephones in this city will be changed to dial service, and all telephone numbers will be changed. Late this week, new directories will be delivered. Here are a few important suggestions for the use of your dial telephone. Before calling any number, first secure the number from your new directory. Then remove the receiver and listen for the dial tone. It sounds like this. That tone indicates everything is ready for your call. With the receiver off the hook, dial the desired number. For example, suppose you want to dial 23650. Dial each numeral in this manner, pulling the dial around to the finger stop each time. Be sure to allow the dial to freely return to its normal position. And this is the ringing signal. If the line is busy, you'll hear this busy signal. Until Saturday midnight, please use your present directory and make your calls in the usual manner. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, it brings up another thing that's just uh, time has forgotten. The phone book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was like annually or something. You used to get this big, thick book yeah. with all the numbers of everyone alphabetically. Their names were listed unless they had the dreaded unlisted phone number. Right, which you paid um, extra for. Yeah, and then it had the yellow pages where all the stores were. Well, b before before the web, uh, if let's say you need to find a plumber. Instead of searching the web, you know, Google uh, plumbers near me, you would open the phone book to the plumber section and find a plumber that way. What if you had a rotary phone and somebody called you? What would the ringer sound like? What would it sound like? You know, I think it might sound a little something like this. Answer the phone, will you? 
And uh, it's, it's surprising uh, you know, that that ringer was actually, you know, two, two metallic little bells with a, a clapper in the middle. And there's a surprising amount of voltage running through plain old telephone service lines or, or uh, pots. They, um, it's 48 volts, which is quite a bit. Huh. But I think you needed it for the old equipment to, to, to run all the mechanical parts of it. So you would have been in trouble trying to make a call in the shower. It, it, it could have hurt. It could have hurt. It could yeah. Have hurt. yeah, it could have hurt. And it actually, there, there were different, uh, you know, uh, hacks, as, as they call them now, to uh, harness some of the, the uh, power off your phone, like, you know, run a nightlight off of it or, you know, do different things, which w- was illegal, but uh, you could do it because you had just, you know, 48 volts just coming right into your house that you weren't paying for, technically. So I guess when they went to the push-button phone, where the real fancy one, the princess phones, mm-hmm. had the dial that lit up, that was probably no big deal. No, no. Yeah. No. Interesting. I, lo- I love the guy's voice on the instructional video. He has that sense of urgency, like the duck and cover guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's Don't try it can- before then. It's not going to work. <laughs> you don't want the authorities to come to your house. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm. Um. Uh, Anything else about phones? Phone booths. Phone booths. Phone uh, there booths, was a st- yeah. And pay phones. There was a time when pay phones were everywhere. Every convenience store, uh, a lot of street corners. If you went to a hotel, there usually you would be a whole bank of phones in the, in the lobby. Uh, I can remember the first few computer conventions. I went to the Javits Center in New York City down on the, the basement level where like the food court is. There was just a whole wall of telephones because, you know, people didn't have cell phones and that's how they communicated when you're, you were on the road. And also, um, if you were a student at a faraway college, you could call friends and family collect where it's like they accepted the charges mm-hmm. for the call. Yeah. And uh, I remember one time I had a roommate's girlfriend calling and um, for a collect call. And the operator contacted me and said, oh, so-and-so there. And I said, are we have a collect call for so-and-so? Mm-hmm. I said, no. So his girlfriend started shouting a message over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and the operator's like trying to talk over and cut it off because she's not going to get it for free dog on it. Yeah, there were all so sorts all of systems. Yeah, people would like have codes set up for different things. Yeah. Uh, just to like to call somebody to, to let you know. Like uh, Michelle did that with... Uh, uh, when she used to drive up to Siena, she'd make a collect call home and say uh, it's a collect call for Heidi, and they deny the call because Heidi was her dog. So, so yeah. it was just just a way of uh, of letting people know that you know you, you got there okay. That's funny. Yeah. All these things that fall by the wayside. Yeah. Okay. The next thing I had on my list was um, the advent of, you know, cable TV, really. Mm-hmm. It used to be you'd have four stations, one of which was public broadcasting, but you had three network stations. Uh, the news was only 30 minutes long, and so there was no room for editorials or talking heads. It was just, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. That's all we have for this day, you know? Right. And you make up your own mind. But um, we went to hundreds of stations, so there's a lot of competition uh, the news stations had a 24-7 news cycle, a lot of airtime to fill. And so you would have a panel on everything. And people quickly figured out that if the panel's just talking and sharing information and insight, 
that's kind of boring. Now, if they're yelling at each other and going after each other, that gets more viewers. Yes. And so that really set the tone, I think, for the beginning of just the dialogue being so shrill, in my opinion. Um, so it's like it's something else where the great variety comes with a downside. Right. Yeah, there's only so much news that, that happens uh, during the day. And to create a 24-hour news cycle, you've got to either just have a lot of filler, or which, which no one's going to watch, or have more sensational kind of items that, that you're right. going to be showing. And so for like politics, it was, I think it was always, I mean, it's always been a bit cutthroat, but I think back to the sixties and there, I don't think there was that big a difference between a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans. It was, you know, if, if anything, it was sort of like, I know the main policies that, you know, you guys are going to push if you get in office. And I just don't think your theories are going to work. I mean, that's what it was about. And now it's advanced to, you know, the other side is an existential threat yes. to the United yeah, States. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that is because people are drinking in all this yelling that's being triggered by a need to sell airtime and get ratings for a 24-7 news cycle that needs to be filled. Yeah. And I think back, back in the day that everyone was kind of had the same goal in mind where you know let's say you're a centrist democrat or a centrist re republican they just might have had different ideas about what's the best way to accomplish that goal right but people were willing to reach across the aisle and work uh, yeah you know it, that's that's what politics was it's yeah. like and, and you didn't want to get too scorched earth because everybody knew we only have the majority for a couple of years and then the other side will have the majority. So you don't want them too angry. Right. And now it's all about immediate gratification because all the people that drink in all the shrill messaging now vote. And so they vote in shrill, yeah, <laughs> shrill yeah. people. You oh. know, and everybody just cares about what they can get done in their tenure. And if you basically say your policy will you know, bankrupt us in five years, you know, the response is probably going to be, I'm not going to be here in five years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's become almost a, a bizarre uh, reality TV show. Yeah. And, and you know, you get the, the people you love to hate and the people you, you hate to love. And it's, it's, it's weird. Right. And then the other interesting thing about what television stations used to do is around between probably one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, they'd sign off for the night. They would draw the shades, turn out the lights <laughs> yes. and leave. Yeah. And you were, you were left with uh, a test pattern, which was this graphic they would put up, I think to help adjust the cameras and you'd have like a, a whistle, you know, a howl. But yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess also just to, you know, they, I don't think they'd shut down the transmitters. It just was a way to make sure the system was up and running and, they'd be all set to come on again when they had to resume broadcasting. But yeah, right. they, they'd play the national anthem and there'd be flags waving and jets flying over. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it would cut to a test pattern with that, just that, that high pitched uh, sound. Yep. Do, do we have an example of an old TV station sign off? I, I think we may. This, this is, is uh, amazing. Yeah. So, so this is what you uh, might've heard back in the day. This is WLNE, Channel 6 in New Bedford, Massachusetts. WLNE is owned and operated by Freedom WLNE TV Incorporated, with offices and studios located at 430 County Street in New Bedford and 10 Orm Street in Providence, and is affiliated with the CBS Television Network. Our transmitter is located in Tiverton, Rhode Island. 
WLNE operates on channel 6 with a video output of 100,000 watts and an audio output of 20,000 watts by authority of the Federal Communications Commission. Certain programs seen on WLNE during the telecast day were on film, pre-recorded, or delayed television network programs. This is Franz Laubert speaking on behalf of the staff and management, wishing you a pleasant night and good morning. And sometimes what they would do is if a TV station ran in tandem with a uh, radio station, they would give a plug to the radio station. Oh, they have yeah. smooth jazz all night. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you, uh, you couldn't sit up late watching TV because there was none. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then there were no, you know, uh, DVD players or VCRs at, at the house. Right. No YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> what did we so, do? How did we survive? The Kowalski triplets. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was a it was a different different era. Um, yeah. But of course, you know, people would listen to the radio, and they had different ways to stay busy. Um, it wasn't just the, the you know the boob tube, right? Uh, keeping them occupied. But you know, other weird things I thought of is that one one sense of adventure I used to have is I would uh, turn on my parents uh, shortwave radio and it was like you could be a world traveler uh, depending on how things were skipping around in the ionosphere Mm -hmm. Uh, you could hear you know foreign countries and and um and i can remember it was funny as recently as the 1990s i can remember listening to a shortwave radio out of havana cuba and it was so funny um listening to radio havana because you know what what they would do is they would tell their side of the story like yes. what the united states gets wrong yeah and yep. it was just interesting to hear i mean you knew you were listening to propaganda but you know you're listening to propaganda here too <laughs> so that whole shortwave thing has been eclipsed by the internet right i can listen to radio stations all over the world just on the net mm-hmm. and no static right right and no fade yeah. you know yeah daytime or nighttime <laughs> Yeah, and it was just interesting to hear how they want to pitch it, you yeah. know, to us. Um, what what are they sensitive about? You know, right. I, I always had entertainment for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like I remember in the classroom, other other changes in the classroom. What it used to be, and I would take this like mana from heaven, you know. But when the teacher stopped talking, um, we were going to have an audio visual presentation. Like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but you were you were really lucky if they brought in the film projector to show you a film on something first it was film strips oh my gosh those were awful those were just awful and um you know i was thinking about trying to find a uh, an audio to that to show the audience how terrible it was but you would have a really boring narrator and you would start with a title slide um you know uh, knitting socks in your town or whatever you know there was it was about but then they had to cue the teacher when it was time to advance the slide to the next slide. Mm-hmm. So there'd be a really a subtle boop. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we had to go through that. So film strips, there was a million of them. And it was great. They would turn down the lights, you know, so you could kind of zone out a little bit. Yeah. And they had occasional films. But there was no, no videotape until much later. Mm-hmm. Uh, high school. I mean, this is when I remember some some videotape stuff. Okay. Anything else before we move to societal changes? Okay. 
in, to my mind, uh, this goes back to the, the theme about the, the old sense of community we used to have. It was like each town probably had an industry or a business as an employer that everybody's parents worked for. So relatives w- mm-hmm. lived and worked very close to home. Um, so like, you know, Gahoes, New York had the mills and it had all the, um, all the, the vendors were on Remsen street. So lunchtime, all the secretaries, the workers, the executives, everybody would go shopping for lunch. So you had this teeming economy and your, your relatives lived or my relatives lived all in the same street around the block within a couple blocks of each other. And in, uh, in Schenectady, um, you had General Electric. And so it was the same thing, a booming, bustling downtown, except there you had thousands of employees working for, for General Electric. So that was the, the big employer, the big economy. And there was a sense everything was local. Like even the National Guard had local armories. So you stop and think about it. And in Gahoes, if you're a National Guardsman, I mean, you could drive to Albany. I mean, you had cars, but nobody did. It was still like it was horse and buggy time. Uh, so everybody had the local armory and everybody felt like they needed to have their own hospital. So even though the capital district in upstate New York had a ton of hospitals around, Gahoes needed to have a hospital. And so they built it like in 1960 and they probably instantly regretted it because the 60s was when everything started to change because before then it was almost you had the mobility of an automobile, but the mentality of horse and wagon. So people just didn't use their cars to move away and to go shopping in faraway places. That all seemed to happen in the 70s, I think. Yeah. Well, three generations of my family all worked at the same steel mill and yeah. they all lived lived around it. Um, my father spent his whole life uh, was was born in you know uh, worked uh, died in a two mile radius yeah uh, and, and that's the way it used to be yep I, I think that's that's the way it was and I think I, I was thinking about it and I was thinking it, it probably was the horse and wagon mentality because they had the technological change of the car but then they had to go through the psychological change of what that meant. And that's why every time I look around and I think, oh man, the 21st century is a mess so far. You know, one thing that always pops to mind is maybe we haven't caught up to the 21st century yet. We haven't (laughs) really caught up with all the technology. So we're just like flailing around and, and, and misusing it. Um, But you know, one, one danger and another realization as we get older but those towns that had that local industry, we also saw those industries collapse and move offshore. Either the, uh, the, the company shut down to go south, you know, where labor unions were weaker and, and taxes were lower. Yeah. And it just caused the local economies to, to crash. And, and in Gahoes and Schenectady, they still haven't recovered. They're still struggling. Um, but the part of me that feels so sad about it, I started thinking, you know, if you take a, a long look at it, I wonder if it hasn't always been that way. I mean, from gold rush towns, boom and bust, mm-hmm. it, it, maybe it's always been that way. And this, it's significant to us because we saw it happen. I don't know. What do you interesting, think? Interesting. Hmm. I mean, we're, we're getting kind of into the, the jungle uh, kind of territory here, which is basically 
uh, the, the economy thrives on a uh, underclass of uh, recent immigrants <laughs> to do the work who then move on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And then now, it, now makes it even more interesting because we're not a manufacturing economy anymore. Yeah. So it's like, how do you how do you absorb people? How do you use them? What does it mean? You know, it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Well, and getting back to that that uh, that community. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I, I grew up in a factory town, and everyone took vacation at the same time because uh, the machines. You know, it was a steel mill, so they didn't shut down because they they couldn't have everything cool down and reheat it. Uh, so they would have shops shut down for, for two weeks where they just keep a minimum amount of stuff running during the summer and everyone would have those same two weeks of vacation. Hmm. And we uh, and all the guys from the shop and their families would all go to the same towns in Maine for summer vacation and we'd just run into people we knew all over the place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, because they're all Canadians who went to, to Maine for summer vacation. Wow. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. And um, an- another change is I can remember growing up that, uh, you know, either either we didn't know how bad smoking was for us or um, <laughs> they knew they just weren't telling us. But smoking, yeah. smoking was considered glamorous. Uh, you saw smoking all over TV. Um, cars came standard with cigarette lighters and ashtrays. And you don't see that anymore. But you know what is interesting? It's a, it's a vestige of that is virtually every 12-volt connector uh, for accessories in a car is actually the same format yep. as the old cigarette lighters. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, Just don't plug an old cigarette lighter into it. Why not? It won't work? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it might. <laughs> <laughs> but you just shouldn't be smoking. Yeah, you should. Not in cars anyway. Yeah. And then it wasn't until the uh, 1970s that uh, cigarette commercials were taken off TV because you used to have cigarette advertising and alcohol advertising on TV. Well, people smoked on TV all the time. I can remember yeah. watching some some old uh, like sixty Minutes interviews with Mike Wallace. Oh, sure, he's smoking during during the interview. Sure, uh, Johnny Carson when they cut back from a commercial would be smoking a cigarette. Yep, and and even even when the dialogue turned to smoking is horrible for you. Then the debate became, well, some cigarettes are better for you than others. Mm-hmm. So, and they, that even found its way into advertising. Did it indeed? That's what I've heard. All right, let's see what that might have sounded like. Okay. You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? (laughs) Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment. See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. Now, now today, four out of five of those doctors are dead. <laughs> right. It, it just just uh, amazes me that like the, 
they talk about how like mild you're you're, in, you're inhaling smoke. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it's it's horrible just just thinking about it. Yeah, it was big big business back then. Now, when when um when we were during our working lifetimes, you could smoke in the office. You know, yeah. New York State offices uh in the late late 80s, you could still smoke at your desk. Yep. And if and if you found that to be an imposition, well, you were just a hot house orchid. You know, it's like you're just right. too delicate. Uh, yeah, there were ashtrays everywhere. Yep. You could smoke in restaurants. Uh, you could smoke on airplanes. I remember when Claudette graduated from college. There weren't a lot of rooms available in Syracuse, so we had to stay at the Turning Stone Casino. And we're walking through the lobby. And people were just walking around smoking, which is something our kids had never seen. Yeah. And they were just amazed. Like, how are people just walking around smoking yeah. indoors? Yeah. So I think I think that's an example of good change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I'll, I'll file that under, under good. But uh, just to police up the battlefield with a few other observations here is how much um, medical care has changed. Because back when I was a kid in upstate New York... Uh, you had a general practitioner, and he was the one who would make house calls if somebody was sick. He would also deliver your mom's baby. Um, mm-hmm. If you had psoriasis, he would take care of your skin. And and I know this for a fact because I saw it, is if you needed abdominal surgery, he would also operate on you. So that I don't think is really good. That's the way it used to be. And then it just broke out into different specialties. The doctor's used to live in our neighborhoods. So it was just a, if you were middle class, they were probably upper middle class, had a nicer house in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're probably not in your neighborhood anymore. They probably have <laughs> right. big money house. Yeah. In this, they're all specialties. The thing I really miss about uh, the, the old you know, uh, family practitioner was they were also your case manager, which, which doesn't exist today. Yep, that's true. If you went into the hospital they showed up and you know kind of ran interference for you they they uh they coordinated all your care with, with any specialist you might need now you're pretty much on your own yep continuity of care is hard now yeah yeah you, you pretty much have to be your own advocate and so that's um a good and bad development um another big difference was when we were kids it was before everybody was so worried about litigation risk and so mm-hmm. the toys were actually oh, pretty yeah, yeah. pretty dangerous. I mean, you had chemistry sets. Um, you had the thing called uh, the Mattel Thing Maker. And what that was is you had this stuff called Plastigoop. But it was like mm-hmm. this plastic stuff. And you would drop it in a metal mold and basically put it on a hot plate. And where it would right. get super hot. And it would turn into like a hard plastic. Yeah, it also emitted toxic fumes as it was curing. Well, there was also, in the 1950s, there was the uh, Gilbert Atomic Energy Laboratory. It was oh like, you know, like the chemistry sets, and it actually came with uh, uh, a couple uranium samples. Oh, my gosh. And one of the things you could build was a cloud chamber to watch the uh, particle decay on your, uh, <laughs> on your isotopes. Excellent. Yeah. Our local hobby shop sold chemicals for, for chemistry sets. Like, if you needed replacements... Uh, you can go in and buy some more chemicals, and, and you could make gunpowder with some of the stuff that came out of the chemistry sets. Yeah, but I, I can remember, um, like you know, castles and forts. They were made out of sheet metal with mm-hmm. uh, little tabs that would you know make corners and fit together and stuff. And I mean, it's 
they'll slice your finger off. You know, they, yeah. they had kids yeah. playing with that. And then jarts, right? These, these darts you would throw up in the air and they had fins in the back. And you were almost like horseshoes. You were trying to. It, well, yeah, it was very similar. You had a, a plastic uh, hoop at one end, you know, one end. People stand on either side, and you you'd loft the the jart, which was a pretty heavy metal dart with a very sharp tip, to try to land into that in the middle of that hoop. Yeah. Which you know, if you weren't paying attention, one could come down and you know, hit you in the head, which yeah. which unfortunately did happen. Cousin Betty's neck. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, it was dangerous, but. No litigation risk back then, so you could do that. Um, and the final thing I had on my list, uh, you may you may have more, but um, and this is one I've really been thinking about lately because I've been out searching radio stations. But it, it used to be that each radio station had a staff of disc jockeys, and the disc jockeys were really local celebrities. I mean, they would they would do dances at your school. People mm-hmm. would stop by the studio. They would give autographs, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and they had their own playlists. And so what would happen is um, labels would ap- approach them or bands would approach them to try to get airplay. And so they were right. people to be courted. And you would actually have regional hits. You would have some uh, some song hit the charts out in, you know, Oregon. And that would cause the buzz to get it played over here. Um mm-hmm. And now what's basically happened is it's almost like somebody said, well, look, if there's a hundred, I mean, if there's a, you know, if there was a hundred radio stations in this region and if each one had 15 disc jockeys to do a 24 hour cycle, let me see, 15 times, oh, that's like 1500, you know, disc jockeys. You know, it'd be really cheaper is let's just hire 10 and we'll make them nationwide. And right. so- if you, and it's kind of interesting. What I what I did was I looked at the schedules for like a lot of local radio stations that I remember in, in the Albany, New York area, and I looked at the schedule to see who the disc jockey was, and then I looked at the bio of the disc jockey. It'd be Chicago, you know, Texas, Los Angeles. I mean, so they what they, what they basically do is they they run a centralized playlist for not a lot of stations. And then have somebody else do a local commercial for, you know, car shop or something. Right. But that whole thing of local disc jockeys as VIPs is largely gone. Yeah. And some some stations now are just using pre-programmed material completely. There there aren't any any DJs in the station at all. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very sad. It is. I think that's just sad. I mean, cost efficient, but just sad. Right. So. Well, in in overall, I mean, childhood I think is very different. Uh, kind of wrap things up here than than you know now than when we were kids. We were pretty much free range kids. You know, it's it's like you had your bike, you could pretty much go where you wanted to all day. Uh, you didn't have to check in. You couldn't really check in. You had to show up for dinner at night, but that was about it. You were uh, pretty much on your own. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, the drinking age was eighteen. So, um, so all freshman orientation activities at college uh, also included kegs for some reason. <laughs> for some, uh, it was a different world. Yep, yep. And I think I think parents were largely disconnected from the kids' schoolwork. I don't think they were mm-hmm. quite as hands-on as they are now. Right. So, but we we survived. But a lot, a lot of differences between now yeah. and when we grew up. So. Yeah. There's been plenty of change in our lifetime as well. 
No. i got to say one thing. I, I was talking to, to Claudette uh, not too long ago about photography, and uh, I was talking about flashbulbs. I said, yeah, cameras used to have flashbulbs. You, you take a picture, you throw the flashbulb away. It only worked once. She said, what? What do you mean? I said, yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd buy a whole bunch of flashbulbs, and they'd be good for one picture. Uh and then the, the big innovation to that was the flash cube, which right. would let you go for four, but you still threw it away when you were done with it. And then it had like a flash bar, didn't they? For the flash insta- bar, instamatics, yes. but like six or eight bulbs. Yeah, yeah. And you, you'd flip it over. You'd you'd shoot one half of it, and then you'd flip it over. And the flash bar was as big as the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really funny. And, and yeah. now it's a lot harder to even get a camera that operates off film. Any words of wisdom? Anything uh, to summarize? I guess the the words of wisdom are that uh, I can remember, you know, there was always, growing up, there were always guys like on a park bench, these geezers that would sit there and say, ah, the whole world's going to crap. You know, it's like ever, ever, the weather has been different ever since NASA's been poking holes in the atmosphere, sending right. these rockets up. And so what's really kind of funny is every time I catch myself going, yeah, but it's different this time. It's really bad. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also cognizant of the fact that we've just seen a lot and your ability to absorb change kind of slows down after a while. We've, I think so. We've always survived. So. It's always been okay. And yep. so if I was betting man, I'd basically say it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's right. Comic books didn't destroy the country. TV didn't destroy the country. Um, Petticoat Junction didn't destroy the country. <laughs> no. So we're, we're doing just, just fine. Just fine. We'll be okay. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast, where we don't worry about the past because our entire future is ahead of us. The human body is in constant change from the minute we're born. It's in a constant state of decay. It's as if we're all Ford Escorts. I put a dollar in a change machine, but nothing changed. The Dalai Lama 